One of the first verses that children are taught and seems to be drawn back into our lives on a regular basis is 1 Peter 5, 7. It goes something to the effect, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And uh, there are different translations on how that comes out, but um, I, was, I was thinking how that has been a life source for me over and over through the years. And I was watching my grandsons uh, this week, you know, being afraid to go upstairs, new house. What's that noise, you know, the furnace? And, and, and you realize that even for children, there's this anxiety that's a part of their lives. When I hear weird furnace noise, sometimes it affects me too, but in a different way, like how much is that going to cost me? But <laughs> if, for them, it's, that's a different sound. You know? and, and yet, even in that, there's an opportunity for them to say, God's watching over me. He's caring. He cares in my life. He, he cares for me. And if we grab on to that, it's the same thing that holds us no matter what season of life we're in. What I want to do is, is walk through some of the verses surrounding that passage. I'm going to start with the fourth chapter of First Peter and just recognize that there were some very complicated days that these folks were involved in and that uh, their lives weren't simple, and yet there's this knowledge God was definitely involved in giving oversight to them anyway. So let's look at 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way with this thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, we teach that we are to follow the example of Christ, right? And we normally apply that to character traits and attitudes that we're to be loving and such. But when we start thinking about the suffering of Christ, there's almost a disconnect that wants to take place in saying, yeah, you know, that's... <laughs> let's, let's talk about well-being. And yet... When we recognize that Christ suffered on earth and apparently was completely within the plan of God and his will, there's something in us that almost dreads looking at it because that might mean some struggle for our lives as well. Now, we, we participate, every one of us, in struggle, but there's almost a wish to deny it and refuse its possible implications of positiveness to our lives. And so that struggle goes on, and, and think about it, when, when we develop dreams for ourselves, usually don't our dreams involve, involve more wealth than what we have? And yet, the Lord said himself, it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But somehow, in our minds, there's this idea of, yeah, but I can handle it. Or very rarely do we look at it and say, It'd be, I'd be better off just to stay poor. But in truth, wealth of this age is temporal. Now, the truth is, if, if, we're not, if we're not going out and buying a 12-pack every night, we do save some money. 
and brain cells and everything else. But there are things that we do when we step into a life with Christ that, that are for our financial well-being, that brings a measure of health to us. But the goal is not the wealth of this life. And that's something that is complicated, isn't it? I mean, I, I recognize the, the value of being able to assist others and everything else, and placing myself in a position where I can aid others is a good place to be. But it is not the, the end goal for our lives. In a similar way, when we, we walk through things, we can say, well, I, I really would like to be in a place well-respected, you know, but again, often that's this lifetime's goal. And it's easy when, when you are beginning career to say, I really want to excel in this career and I, I, I want to be the best that I can, I want to be the best there is. I don't want to say the best I can be. We just say, I want to be the best. And in some ways, those are, it's normal to, and appropriate to pursue excellence but if it's a this-lifetime thing, they're, they're still more important than that form of excellence. And in Christ, it may be that we never do achieve notoriety. It may be that we never achieve wealth. It may be that we never achieve a lot of the dreams that, that were self-dreams. But the reality is God can still work powerfully in us and prepare us completely, appropriately, for the next life. One of the things that these New Testament believers were going through is that they were suffering, not just imagined, but actual suffering, for their faith. And they're coming to terms with it and saying, this actually has some value for our life. And as much as I even dread looking down that road, I can read this and be aware that they embraced it and said, there's some good coming out of this. I've not had to suffer in my lifetime, not of any measure. But the truth is, I can look around the world and see people that are in in much worse situations and acknowledge that God is involved in their lives deeply as well and that they can take comfort and solace in verses like these and saying, I really am following the example of Christ and he's leading me through this path. And it's not the suffering that you, that you take the enjoyment in, but it's the knowledge that just as Christ suffered, he was also resurrected and glorified. And there is that same hope in us that as we walk his path, the future is wondrous. It says, For in the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't want to join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. 
Our hope is that when we separate ourselves lifestyle-wise, is that others will just, uh, we'd rather they embrace it, but if they don't, we'd rather they just kind of dismiss us or leave it alone, not, have no effect, so to speak. And yet, the declaration is there's a certain surprise that takes place, and then a maligning that says they're just fools, idiots, what, you know, you can list the thing, but it's, it isn't just a non-effect thing. And so you can expect a separation of some of your friends when you come to Christ. And it's, it's sorrowful. It's not desired, but it is one of those things that takes place. And in this, they're going, you know, you, you were part of that. You had enough of it. You left it. But now you also have to recognize that not everybody's going to embrace the changes. But God sees that as well, and he'll take that into account. He says, for this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I don't honestly know what exactly this verse means. I wish I could tell you I did. You know, preach to the dead, does that mean those who are dead in Christ and are alive now? Does it mean those who were dead, dead? <laughs> Christ went back and preached to them? Does it mean the Gentiles who were going to come to Christ? When we came to Christ, we embraced a death to self and a life to God. It's the best I can give you. When you figure it out, come see me. <laughs> Let me know. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded. He goes on to list things like be loving and hospitable, using your gifts to serve. He says, recognizing that this life is temporal, and the days are limited, live your life accordingly then. Apply yourself to these things. You know, if, if you recognize that, that this life is limited and there is a, this hope of the eternal he says, then start investing yourself in the things that count in this lifetime. Pour yourself into loving others. Pour yourself into serving others. Take the gift that God has given you and use that for His glory. It says, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So he says, when life gets complicated and things aren't going the way you would hope, in fact, it feels fiery, he says, don't let this be a grand surprise of, how does this happen to me? Why? Why? But acknowledge it for what it is and embrace that even in that, God is there. 
that His glory will be revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. (laughs) So if you're put down by someone else, know that in Christ, there's a blessing coming upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, or evildoer. He says, if you're suffering because of your own foolishness, uh, don't embrace that as being suffering for God. You know, when Christians bounce their checks, the same response happens to them as it does to the ungodly. The bank doesn't appreciate it. They let you know by fining you. And it's a hard lesson for any of us, believer or unbeliever. It's just not enough to to say, well, they love me. They me. They gave me a prize when I signed up for the account. Now, all of us are the same, and he says, if, if, you're, if you're doing wickedness and you're paying a price for that, that's not really suffering for Christ. But he says, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He says, some of the str- suffering and struggle that you are going through is in a form, a judgment, or a, a God working in your life to weed out the things that don't belong there. Do you realize that any suffering you go through now is the closest thing you'll be to hell that you'll ever be? You get it right in Him. I take comfort in that thought. That the struggles of this life are the preparation and the purification are for the purification of your life. And so when approached in an appropriate fashion, there's an opportunity to say God has his hand in this and actually is intending to bring good out of it. I mean, those first verses we read, the one who's done with suffering in their flesh is done with the, uh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You know, things that we go chasing after, he says that the struggles that we go through actually help weed those things out of us. What a powerful idea that is. Therefore, those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Here's that. Believing that he truly cares. And so while walking through that saying, he is a faithful creator, he he designed all of it. He understands the workings of it better than we understand it ourselves. He knows our lives better than we know them. I mean, if he knows the number of hairs on our head, I don't have a clue. I just know that it's decreasing. But, but he knows that. If he understands the, the, the physical side of it, how much more does he understand this, the emotional and the mental and everything else that's going on in us? We're trying to figure things out and he got that covered. 
And the opportunity is to trust him as a faithful creator and say, he's leading me through this. He's guiding my steps. He's involved in me. When I think of that, that caring, you know, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, I think of one who has empathy, but also who involves. The one who, who feels the, the, the pain of it and the sorrow of the moment, but also who intervenes. Not just watching on the sidelines, oh man, they're going through it. But gets involved and starts fixing, so to speak. Only what a creator could do. He goes on into this fifth chapter, and there's a, in some ways a, a bit of a shift, but he's going to come back to this, and so I left it in with this passage. He, he goes into the thing of elders, and he exhorts them to, to serve in a noble way because he says when the chief shepherd appears, he's going to reward you for that. And, and what he's alluding to is similar to what we were looking at even last week, that God as a shepherd over our lives leads us into places of health and, and oversees and you know, protects and provides. And so he's again pulling out that picture for us to hang on to. The chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Then he goes, says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves all with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He takes on one of the issues of youth. And that says, I have these dreams. I know God's placed them in my lives. If this old fart would get out of the way, I could really achieve. And there has to come a point where we say in the Lord, it's not everybody else's fault. He has a handle on my life. And he's placed me where he wants me, and he's guiding me through the things he wants me to go through. And he really is helping me define what are God dreams and what are self dreams. And it requires stepping into this thing of humility, being willing to humble our lives and say, you guide and direct it, and you make it happen when you see fit. Because all of us have these things that we want to push for and achieve, and it just seems counterintuitive to, to walk in humility. Yet he calls us to that. And yet in that, you know, in that, th- that wrestling of how can I let go of chasing this or trying to push others out of the way so I can get there, how can I let go of that enough that, that to just really rest in him? So in this comes that verse that we grab onto, cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Take the the worries and the cares and the frustrations. You have opportunity of actually releasing that. 
That's a, a beautiful thing. That we do not have to just wrestle through this on our own, but really there's an opportunity of truly releasing in the Lord where that anxiety flees. There are times when you're walking through things and you think, I don't know how I'm ever going to get through this. I don't see any relief in sight. I don't see how, to, how anything can work out. And yet a calm will come in our hearts that we cannot define except for God. And it's an awesome, awesome thing. It's that moment where you know, he really has taken us over. He has, he has helped me release this thing that I couldn't seem to get rid of. Do I actually see the answer? Not really, but I, I have this confidence that he does. I have this hope in him that says he's guiding my steps. I'll pick on Jubilee because she's leaving. There's a lot of anxiety when you move, right? I, I'm just assuming. At least the rest of us go through it when we travel. Don't know what job you're going to get. Don't know where, you know, where you're going to stay. How are you going to get you know, lined up? With. There's, a, there's a hundred different things to get lined up. Shouldn't have picked on her. Should have picked on my daughter who left this last week. Saw it in her face big time. Spilled over into me. She wasn't happy. <laughs> but there comes that moment where you say, God is orchestrating this event. And I can trust him. I can release this in him. Do I have everything figured up? No. But I trust him. And that's, that's the hope that we carry. And that's what Peter's pulling out even in the midst of struggle. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm knowing that all kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He says, there's an unseen battle going on, and it's about your life. That there is a true enemy that is seeking to destroy you. But even in that, he's saying, you can have confidence in one who is much stronger, one who has authority over all things. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I like those words. I'm going to read them again. He'll restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. What more could we ask for? To him be the dominion forever and ever. That word is used twice in this particular book. It's the idea, he has the government. He has the authority over all things. The loving, caring God has rule over our lives. Praise to God. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Amen. Worship team. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you would remind you that we are to carry each other's burdens 
if you're wrestling with anxiety or some particular issue, it may be very appropriate that you find someone to pray for you. So I'd encourage you to come on toward the front. It's a way of getting seen. But uh, beyond that, just to call out to the Lord and say, I need some relief here. And I know that you can provide that. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy how much you really care. Lord, as each one goes into the community, I pray that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, that they would be loving toward all, empowered by your supernatural. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. I want your name to be exalted throughout this region. Amen. God bless you.